That was beautiful. Thank you, Byron and students. And the concert that you're having at the H-Pack is Tuesday night, this group at 7 o'clock. Well, we need to be out for that as well. Thank you, musicians. While they're leaving the, the uh, stage, may I tell you about an, an anonymous text I got last night? I don't know how they got my cell phone, whoever it is, but I want to thank you because this person was walking the campus. I was over at the tent for the uh, big event, and he, she, took a picture. I want you to see this picture. It's a beautiful picture. Put it on the screen for you. Isn't that gorgeous? And I want to keep that picture up, please. I want to take this moment and thank the grounds department at Andrews University for the wonderful work they do to make this place. This is a, what do they call it, an arboretum? Arboretum. This is an arboretum here. And it's just beautiful. And I see the initials in the bottom corner. I don't know who they are. But I want to thank this individual for that beautiful picture of Pioneer. Those of you who are watching live streaming, that's just last night here in Barron Springs, Michigan. We're finally getting spring. And what, what a beautiful collection of colors and God's creation that we have on this campus. Hey, guys, we're getting a little bit of echo. Can we just turn it down a tad or just a tad? Bless you. Thank you. Let's pray together. Oh, God, this is our Father's world in the midst of all the craziness that life has become on this planet. These colorful splashes are a reminder. You still reign supreme. There is nothing out of your purview, and you are king. The music that just swept us heavenward, we bless your name. We come to the word of God now. We bless your name. Let it be clear. We humbly pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever heard the expression, don't look a gift horse in the mouth? You ever heard that? <laughs> don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Better yet, have you ever even looked at a horse in the mouth. After today, you'll always be able to say, yes, I have. I want you to take a look at a horse's mouth. Man, what is wrong with that? <laughs> what a mouth. I love those teeth. Well, how about another one? There's a guy that hasn't been to the dentist yet. But you know what? You, you, hey, come on. Some of you English speakers, you know we talk about this is long in the tooth. Long in the tooth is actually from the horse. That's how they measure, that's how they measure a horse's age. Long teeth and how many teeth? So they count them. But the point of the little proverb, never look a gift horse in the mouth, is, they listen, don't be so particular about your gift. You got a gift, just be thankful you had a gift. If it's a horse, just take the horse. Don't count the teeth. Don't look the horse in the mouth. And that's great counsel. Never look a gift horse in the mouth. You ever heard this, pro ever, ever heard this proverb? Never look a gift fish in the mouth. Me neither, but it's a great story, and I want to go to that story with you right now. Open your Bible with me, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17. Let's go. A short little story with a major, major point. Matthew, chapter 17. You didn't bring a Bible, grab the Pew Bible in front of you. It's going to be page 662. I think those of you watching live stream right now are seeing the title for this brand new little mini-series called Nuclear Fission. Do you see it? Nuclear Fission. You have to be a chemist or a physicist to get that. Nuclear Fission. We just did Gone Fission four parts. Now we're going to do Nuclear Fission four parts. Some powerhouse stories that still have fish in them. So we're going to go now. No study guy, by the way, those of you watching and those of you here as well. You're just going to lock this away in your, in your heart, I pray. So this is uh, Matthew chapter 17. 
You found Matthew 17. I'm in the NIV. You got the Pew Bible there. You got your own Bible, whatever. Let's go. Matthew chapter 17, verse 24. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum. Now, I need to tell you, Capernaum is the hometown of our big fisherman buddy named Simon Peter. That's where he lived. That's, that's home base. In fact, I've been to Capernaum, and the archaeologists will with great credibility tell you we believe this foundation here is the foundation of Peter's house. It's just been preserved. Now, they have a special roof over it to, to protect it. But that's where, Peter, that's where Peter was born. That's where he grew up. That's his hometown. So they're coming back to, uh, to Peter's home base. So verse 24, after Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, oh, and by the way, I need to tell you that that is now Jesus' hometown. His hometown really is Nazareth, but the people in Nazareth could never quite stomach the immense popularity of their hometown boy, and for some reason that is it's just absolutely ludicrous, they would not accept him. And so Jesus decides to cha- change his home address to Capernaum, from Nazareth to Capernaum, and it's his hometown. So after Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax, hit the, hit the pause button right there. This is the old half shekel, half shekel temple tax that every Jew who's a male and who's over 20 years of age is required to pay. Got to pay it. You're a Jew, you're 20, right? you pay. Now, it doesn't have the same kind of uh, sacrosanct attachment that tithing does. Now, the Jews know about tithing as well. The whole world knows about tithing now. That's a dynamite promise, by the way, that's, that's uh, spread out for the people living in Jesus' day. I'll put that, uh, let's put uh, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, and just remind us what that prom- promise is. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, that would be the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. End quote. The two drachma temple tax is not tithe. No, completely different. Because in the tithe promise that God makes, note this, in the tithe promise, God is not promising this only to Jewish males 20 years or older. The tithe promise is to males and females, Jews and Gentiles, black, white, yellow, red, brown, it doesn't matter. This is my promise to the human race. So when the the tax collectors come and they grab Peter, they say, yo, they're not thinking tithe. They're talking about the temple tribute, the temple tax. Now, let's read the whole verse here. Verse 24, And after Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, all right, yo, Pete, doesn't your... And by the way, the your is plural. So they're they're, they're singling Pete out, but they're talking to all the boys hanging around. Those would be the disciples. Yo, Pete, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? (sighs) Oh, my. What Peter does not know bless his heart, is that this is an elaborate ruse to catch Peter off guard and trick him into compromising Jesus. Because you see, the two drachma temple tax, while it's required of all Jewish males 20 years and older, the exceptions happen to be if you're a priest or a Levite, obviously you work in the temple, so why should you have to pay tax for where you're working, or you're a prophet. You work for the Lord of the temple. You don't have to pay. Oh, very clever. A, a trap embedded in this trick question. Doesn't your master pay the temple tax? Because if Peter says, 
Why, of course he does. Oops. Then they will crow that Jesus obviously is not the prophet he's been saying he is and that the people think he is because, hey, prophets don't pay the temple tax, and this guy does. But if Peter says, oh, no, you kidding? He doesn't pay that temple tax. Oh, they go hollering to everybody. Whoa, this Jesus of Nazareth, he's trying to tear down the temple service. They've got Pete nailed, whether he says yes or whether he says no. And, of course, Peter's a fisherman. He's not really, he's, he's not really suave. Is, is, is it suave? Do you, how do you pronounce it? Is it suave? Okay. He's not really suave. He's not really suave when it comes to the nuances of logic embedded in hastily thrown questions in his face. And so Peter just blurts it out. Oops. Yeah. Peter goes into the house. Jesus is there to meet him. Next verse. Verse 24, and when Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. Hit the pause button right there. Please note, there's not going to be any recrimination. There's not going to be any shame, 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 shame. There's no scolding. There's no raised voice. Jesus says, hey, I just have a question for you. What's the question, master? What do you think, Simon? Jesus asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children? Or from others? Well, of course. Of course, Jesus. That's a, that's a really dumb question. Do you think there's a king alive who attacks his own child? Are you kidding? It's going to be from the others. Oops. He gets it. He knows exactly what Jesus has just asked. But Jesus says, it's okay. Verse 27. But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake Throw out your line, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. The end. That's the story. That's it. The end. Wow. <laughs> but what about this little uh, trap that the Pharisees set for him? Our friend George Knight, in his wonderful little commentary on the book of Matthew, it's called the Amplifier Commentary, as only George can do, sees another angle to this, and I want to share his angle with you on the screen. So just read his words there. This is Dr. Knight on the, commenting on this particular story, Matthew 17. The miracle of the fish with the coin in its mouth fits the very need of Jesus at the time. In other words, it turns out to be the perfect, the perfect response. You say, how did Jesus know that? Well, I know how he knew it, because he has an inside, he has an inside track to the Father. He has a back door where he gets into heaven and gets all his instructions. Wrong, 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 wrong. You know the only way Jesus knew it? Jesus will say to his disciples in Luke chapter, chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, he'll say, listen, listen, when you get, when you get hauled off to court, don't worry about what you're going to say. Please, don't worry. Don't, don't panic. Because, I love it in the New Living Translation, because it will be given to you by the Spirit of my Father. It will be given to you, and this is NLT, while you are standing there, you get it. Just say what I give you. Jesus had no inside, well, I'll do this. I'll pull this little fish trick. No. Obviously, the Spirit just said, and Jesus said. So George Knight here, the miracle of the fish with a coin in its mouth fits the very need of Jesus at this time. Good for you, Jesus. For one thing, it definitely proves to the stumbling Peter that Jesus is a prophet since Jesus knows 
which fish the coin will be in, as well as the value of the coin. How do you do that? Number two, here it comes. Second, it is almost... Oh, and this is only George could find this. It is almost impossible that Peter could keep his mouth shut. (laughs) Hold on there. Just hit a pause right here. It's, you know, keep his mouth shut. I mean, I remind you, this is one time... and, And somebody... Where is this? Somebody came after first service and slid this under the door, having heard this teaching. They said, hey, listen, Dwight, you're going to need to put this. They didn't put a name on it. Listen, this is one time, true, this is one time when Peter could go fishing and be absolutely certain he's going to catch something today. Because Jesus said, you're going to catch something. The first fish you catch, open its mouth, boom, go pay our taxes. Wow. So, second, like reading George again, second, it is almost impossible to believe that Peter could keep his mouth shut, perhaps even to the tax collectors. Ha, 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 What do you think I got this, guys? What do you think? I'll give you five guesses in the first. Six don't count. You think Peter's going to be silent about this? No, he's going to say, he doesn't have to pay the taxes. Oops. You know where he got his money? You're not going to believe this. Of course he told everybody he met. Perhaps, George says, even he told the tax collectors, I think he probably did, about how the tax money was raised. Keep reading. Thus the miracle made both horns of the dilemma that the Pharisees created disappear. Jesus really is a prophet, and he doesn't have to pay the tax. Made them both disappear. Now, third, it can be argued that even though Jesus outwardly complied technically, it was not his money that paid the tax. Well, whose money was it? It's the fish's money, of course. Money belonged to the fish. Got it. Yeah, good for you, Jesus. Good for you. And by the way, it was good for Jesus. Because Jesus is modeling something for you and me to get, to get, to get, to get. Think about this. Avoid confrontation if you can do so without compromising truth. Don't pick a fight. Turn the other cheek. Walk the extra mile. Don't do it. I'm the exact opposite. In this day and age, when everyone has the inalienable right to display their ignorance through what they post online. In this day and age, I must admit, I struggle with not being like Jesus in this instance, because every now and then I get an email from Peter. You ever get one of those emails where the writer has obviously written before even thinking? I get those emails. My first response is to fire a two-megaton email back and nuke that vacuous criticism and criticizer. One stone, two birds. Yeah, I'm embarrassed to tell you that. So when I watch Jesus here, totally disregard his critics. Could have jumped up and said, no, 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 no. Totally disregard his critics and keep calm with his own disciples who have muffed a beautiful moment that they could have testified to, but no. All Jesus does is he just complies. I want to learn something. I want to tear a page out of his playbook, don't you? Yeah. Avoid confrontation if you can do so without compromising truth. Hey, this is from Desire of Ages. Nails it on the head, this very point. The words on the screen. Lest he should give offense by withholding the tribute, Jesus did that which he could not justly be required to do. I don't have to do this. Christ taught his disciples not to place themselves needlessly in antagonism to established order. Someday we're going to remember this line because it's very important. Don't get the established order all agitated by the way you fight back. Just keep your mouth shut. 
so far as possible. They were to avoid giving occasion for mis- misinterpretation of their faith. While Christians are not to sacrifice one, even one principle of truth, they should avoid controversy whenever it is possible to do so. Let it go. Come on. That email writer, the person who calls, the, the individual who drops by your place and offers you a piece of her mind or his mind, just let it go. Take the high road. You know you're right anyway. But do I, what if they're wrong? What, what if they're right and I'm wrong? Well, then take it and then let it go. Get, on, get over it. One short little story that paints a beautiful and powerful picture of our Lord Jesus. I want to share three musings with you from this story, and then I'll sit down. Three musings. You don't have a study guide? I'll put them on the screen for you. Musing number one. Have you noticed how powerful a word becomes when Jesus speaks the word? Have you noticed that? I mean, yo, Pete, throw your line into the lake. The first fish you catch, open its mouth, pull the coin out, and go and pay my tax. By the way, this is the only place in the New Testament. Did I already mention this? This is the only place in the New Testament where fishing by line is shown. Everywhere else, how do they fish? Everywhere else, come on, we just finished a little gone fishing. Everywhere else, they pull the net in. I'm making you fish for people because I want lots of people, not just one. I want lots. This is the only time a, a line, and I'm assuming a hook, is mentioned. So go throw that line in, Peter. First fish you up, you get, open the mouth, pull that four drachmas coin out, go pay my tax and yours. You know what Peter does? He said, I'm in, log. I'm in. I'm in. I got it, Lord. I'll go do it. And that's exactly what it is. Throws his line in, pulls the fish out, pulls out the tax, and pays Jesus' tax and his own. Never forget. Never forget the Christ of creation is the Jesus of the Gospels. He's the creator of the universe. So, when Jesus cries out, let there be light, in half a nanosecond, before the word has even left his lips, in half a nanosecond, that word instantly creates the reality it describes. Ever heard, heard that before? Boom! Because when he says, let there be light, what's the next split second? What happens? There is light. His word. He just speaks it. Look at Psalm 33. Jot these three verses down. If you've never gotten these before, never forget them for the rest of your life. Psalm 33, verses 6 and 9. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and the host, the stars of them, by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. That's how powerful it is. Don't forget to jot down Isaiah 55, verse 11. Keep your pen moving. Isaiah 55, 11. So is my word that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the very purpose for which I sent it. When I speak it, it will happen. That's why Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus says, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. It's all in the word. I speak it to you. Say amen to the word of Christ as Peter did. Amen. I'll go do it. And it will be. He spoke it into reality. Wow. I I shared my testimony last fall when we were doing a series called Hashtag RxF for NOW, Righteousness by Faith for Now. And you remember in the opening opening, uh, message, I told you about my struggle with fear, my personal struggle with fear, multiple fears, a garden variety of fears that I've lived with all my life. And I was thinking about it one Sunday, you remember that, in August, when God speaks to me, as I'm thinking about my fears, and I'm thinking about this great principle, and God says, 
Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And in that split second, I knew that God had taken those fears away. I just knew it. Now, a lot of you heard that story, and you said, yeah, well, that's just Dwight. That's, you know, he's kind of a weird guy anyway, so something like that could happen to him. I got an email this week, and I want to read it to you. This is one of the e emails that you don't nuke. This is the one that brings tears to your eyes, and you hold it to your chest, and you say, Dear Jesus, this was all you. How do you do things like this? So I got an email from uh, one of our worshipers this week. Young, young husband, young father. Attending the university. He said, Dear Pastor Nelson, yada, 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 yada. Oh, by the way, I don't know if you intended it this way. I thought this was a... Praise God. I don't know if you intended it this way, but those three series, hashtag rxf now, followed by Storm, and then followed by Gone Fishing, those three series have been like a carefully laid pathway to spiritual revival and renewal. And you know what? It never occurred to me at all. So the Holy Spirit said, Do I not have to tell you what I'm doing? So I say, praise God. Now, here comes one personal anecdote. I confess, okay, confession is good for the soul. I confess that I didn't get the whole omnipotent Word of God thing the first time you shared it, but you continued to preach it. And then after rewatching your sermon entitled Believe, that would be the first one in last fall's series, something clicked. One day, here it comes. One day as I was walking home from class, I was thinking about that sermon and telling God how frustrated I was in my struggle against selfishness and the negative impact it was having on my family. Just a few steps from home, the words of Galatians 2.20 popped into my head. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives, where? In me. In the life I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That verse is boom. And listen to this now. Not me talking. This person. In that moment, something changed. In that moment, something changed. Hey, buddy, I know exactly how you feel. That's exactly what happened to me. In that moment, something changed. I believed it, and God has given me the upper hand in the battle with selfishness. There are still days, important caveat, when I struggle, but I now know that I am no longer a slave to selfishness, and I can't tell you how much that means to me and my family. Praise God! Exclamation mark. Amen. Musing number one, how did it go? Put it on the screen for us again, please. Musing number one, have you noticed how powerful a word becomes when Jesus speaks the word? Here comes musing number two. There are only three of these, and I'm sitting down. Here comes number two. Have you noticed how Jesus keeps an eye out for you and your needs even when you don't ask for it? Yo, Pete, go to the lake. Drop in that line. Get the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and I want you to pull the coin out. It'll be four drachma, and I want you to pay my tax and... Yours. Wow. Peter hasn't even asked. God is meeting a need that Peter has, but he's never even asked God about that need. Can you believe this? Even if you never ask God, he still knows your need. You don't have to ask him. That's why Jesus in the mighty Sermon on the Mount, just a few pages earlier, and I do want, wish that you would see this in your own Bible. Go back to Matthew chapter 6, all red letters in Matthew 6 because it's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Drop down Matthew 6 to uh, verse 31, Jesus speaking. See, this is the point Jesus is making, verse 31. So do not worry. Don't worry. Be happy. Do not worry. 
saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. They don't know how they're going to get them met, so they just are panicked by it. But your heavenly Father knows what? What does your heavenly Father already know? He knows even if you never ask Him. He already knows. Your heavenly Father already knows that you need them. Jesus says, your heavenly Father knows. That's why he can say verse 33. Just, just wrap it up here in verse 33. But seek first. And so, given what I've just told you, Jesus says, and so seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Make God and His kingdom numero uno priority in your life. Make it the numero uno priority in your life. And I'm telling you, all that you want... Oh, no, He didn't say all that you want, did He? What did He say? All that you... What did He say? Need. All that you need. You can count on Him to come through for you. Just say amen. Right now, some of you are going through an immense time of need, personal, private, nobody else but God knows. I need you to know that you can put your finger right on these words that we just read, and you say to God, I am seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness. I am, I am pleading with you, God, meet the needs I have. Meet the needs of my little family. Meet the needs of my career. Meet the needs of my banking account. I'm just asking you. I'm not asking for my wants. I'm just asking for my needs. You put your finger, you say amen to that, you got it. It may not come in this split second. You let God bring it to you. You get it. You say, Dwight, you can't prove that. I sure can. David, Psalm chapter, what is this? Psalm, Psalm 37. Psalm 37. Put it on the screen. Verse 25. I was young, David writes, and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their what? Or their children begging bread. I've never seen them go hungry. Oh, the covers can get awfully scarce, but I've never seen them go hungry. Ever. And I'm an old man now, but I have seen God take care. Oh, my. So seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and all these things that you need will be added to you. I love, the, I love the seven-word creedal. Do you still remember the seven-word creedal? Let's not ever forget it together, you and I. We'll remember it as long as we live. Hebrews chapter 2, 13. It's only seven words long. It goes like this. I will put my trust in Him. That's how Jesus lived. I'll put my trust in Him. I'll count on Him. I will trust Him. So seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all that you need, all that you need will be given, will be added to you. And guess what? When you tithe, no kidding, when you tithe, that's exactly what you're saying. When you fill out that little tithe envelope and you drop it in an offering plate, you are saying, God, I will put my trust in you. Because let's be honest. Can we just be honest about this? There are times, come on, I know, there are times when having that little 10%, if we could just have it, because of my debts, because of my expenses. Okay, okay, because of my wants once in a while. Would it be all right if I just keep this, your 10 for me? Say, no, 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 no. Seven-word credo. 
I will put my trust in him. That's how Jesus lived, Hebrews 2.13. I'm asking you to live the same. I'll take care of you. I promise you. I promise you. I will take care of you. And can you believe the promise? Let's put it up one more time. We saw it a little bit earlier. Uh, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. You declare amen. Every time you put that little tithe envelope, you pull the tithe aside and say, I'm giving this back to God. Every time you do and you put that down, you say, God, this is yours. You say, amen, those floodgates Amen. Open the floodgates for me. Take care of me, please. I'm asking you. Please take care of me. Seek first my kingdom. You got it. I'll put my trust in him. Hey, you just watch. You'll see. Okay, there are three of these. What's, what's number one again on the screen? Have you noticed how powerful a word becomes when Jesus speaks it? Musing number one. Here comes musing number two. Have you noticed how Jesus keeps, keeps an eye out for you and your needs even when you don't ask it? And finally, here comes number three, musing number three. Have you noticed how foolish it feels to fear for the future when you remember Christ can drop a coin in a fishy's mouth and have you catch it? Because I remind you, the hand that plops the coin in the open fish's mouth, the hand that plops the coin is an is a nail-scarred hand. Nail-scarred. And if he can drop a coin in a fish's mouth and have you catch it in order to provide for your needs, is there anything in the future worth fretting about? Come on. Is there anything he can't do? There is nothing he cannot do except force you to believe in him. Just can't do that one. I will put my trust in him. has to come from you, not him. And if he loves you that much, so here's the deal. If he loves you that much, what in the future is worth fretting over now? Robert Farrar Capon, in his book, The Third Peacock, The Problem of God and Evil, describes, I'll put his words on the screen, this little phrase, I think it's dynamite. He describes the absolute centrality of the passion of Christ to the divine management of history. Let me repeat that. The absolute centrality of the passion of Christ to the divine management of history. The cross is immutable proof that the hand that was nailed for you and me not only manages the past, not only manages the present, but also manages the future. Before you and I ever get there, the nail-scarred hand has been there, and he will take care of you. Whatever is in your future, he will take care of you. You have nothing to fear. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Wow. God will surely take care of you and me. No matter what comes next, hey, 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 no matter what doesn't come next. Some of you are wanting something to come so bad you can taste it. No matter what doesn't come next, you can trust Him. You can trust Him. On this Mother's Day, I think of my beloved mother that we buried back in January. And I remember a song she and my dad used to love to hum and sing to. They put on that old record, that recording. It's a group of male voices. And it's, a, it's an old hymn, but I remember that hymn in that tiny little Japanese house on that ancient 
old stereo that my, my dad was so proud of. I remember that hymn just wafting through the air of our little home. And my mother singing to it in the kitchen. You might have heard this hymn. I don't know. I'd love to be able to sing it to you. Be not dismayed, whatever betide, God will take care of you. Beneath His wings of love abide, God will take care of you. God will take care of you through every day or all the way. He will take care of you. God will take care of you. A short little story about Jesus and Peter and you and me and the incredible promise God will take care of you and me.